Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 33 to 51. It's Exodus chapter 12, 33 to 51. Can we all rise for the reading of God's word? The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they had let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians." And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as the native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand that understanding we may believe And believing, we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord, amen. I have four points for you today as we go on and continue on. This is the next big section of Exodus. And as we move on, um, this is exciting. People are coming out of their slavery and bondage, and they're about to go. God told them during the Passover, tighten your belts, put your cloaks, tuck in your cloaks, get the unleavened bread because who knows what's going to happen. Literally, that night, Pharaoh says, get out of here. You're going to go. So it happens quickly, just like that. And I have four points for us today as we go over the next two chapters from the end of chapter 12 to chapter 14. Number one is, are you with us? Number two is from slavery to slavery. Number three is a spirit-led people. And the last point is night before day. Night before day. 
So if you like acrostics, it's just a fan. A fan, like to fan the flame of the... Okay, anyway, it's Are You With Us? From Slavery to Slavery, A Spirit-Led People, and Night Before Day. Are you with us? You know, Amazon this past Monday boasted about $4 billion in sales during their Prime Day event. And if you're an online shopping junkie, or even if you're not, maybe you ordered something because I heard one of the most popular items was this Instant Pot that you could have bought at a huge discount. And if you're a hipster, you must buy it, right? Uh, anyway, so every, everyone has one in their home. And you may love that feeling when you get an email or uh, an alert on your app that says, out for delivery, out for delivery. It means that the order that you placed online is just a number of stops away now before it gets to your home. And you can finally, finally open that up, put it on the counter, and let it collect dust. No, I mean, use it. Use it for all these recipes you've gathered, right? Anyway, um, after the final plague, Pharaoh casks them out of Egypt with his people begging them to leave, please go, giving them all their silver, gold, jewelry, effectively plundering the Egyptians, which means it's the same as defeating them in war. It would be good to remember that Egypt was, one, was the most powerful kingdom in the entire world at the time, with the most advanced technologies the highest degrees of knowledge and education, the greatest levels of wealth, the best nuclear capability. No, that's the wrong nation. But this was a nation that got plundered and was to be remembered as such for all of history going forward. Don't you see how incredible this is? And the Bible says around 600, 100,000 men on foot, besides women and children, were in that group. That's a lot of people leaving. In verse 38, the Bible also specifies that there was a mixed multitude of people that went out with the Israelites. Maybe they were slaves, but of a different race. Maybe they were poor. Maybe they just had enough of Pharaoh. Maybe they were scared that Egypt's time is up. Either way, we know that not just the Israelites, but if you wanted to go, you were able to go. This is happening. People are going to get out from under the hand of Pharaoh. This terrible era of oppressive slavery is coming to an end. And we mustn't miss the correlation this passage just evidently brings in light of Christ and his salvation from the oppressive regime of sin. His establishing of his church so that we can continue to move on, that we can continue to grow as members of one body, to journey out from bondage, is just so apparent. And it begs the question, are you with us? And the answer might seem obvious, for why would anyone choose to stay in slavery? From slavery to slavery. There is a twist. 
Just as God said in chapter 4, let my son go. Let my firstborn son go, which he was referring to Israel. Let my son go so that he may worship me. We went over how this word worship is the same word used when the Bible also used Israel's slavery. The word slavery for Egypt, to Egypt. The literal word then we can see that God is using is let my son go so that he can serve me, which is what upset Pharaoh so much in the first place because he thought the slaves ought to only serve him, so he thought, and that led to his ultimate demise. So you might ask, wait, wait, why should I, or anyone for that matter, be excited to go into slavery? First, we must see that it's already been ascertained that there are two competing claims to Israel's bondage or slavery. Two powerful forces lay claim to Israel's service. Under Pharaoh, there was a harsh laborer with no rest, no provisions, murder of your children, and many other abuses that we saw in the past few chapters. Under God's lordship, we see that to serve God, then, is to have true freedom. In fact, the term we can better use to understand this is the word service, worship, service. We have been brought from service to service. Israel was liberated to give service for obedience, obedience to a just and merciful God. Another one may respond to this and say, why should I serve anyone? I just want to be free, period. No strings attached. Well, first, there's a lot of things wrong with that statement, but we'll get to just a few points. Number one, we were made to worship. We were made for service. It's in us. Imagine we have this basketball league in our church, and our star player, blankety-blank, does a double crossover against his defensive opponent, breaks that person's ankles, another person comes to defend, spin move, and just happens to get to the center who's guarding him, jumps over this center entirely and just yams it in their faces. How would we respond as we watch this unfold we would be on our toes we would be like oh my goodness when we saw that happening we were who's gonna be like hmm that was very calculated well i like that strategy we would be on our toes we would be yelling yeah actually we don't have anybody that can do this yet but i've said this so that perhaps some of our young people will train hard for next year's tournament but if we do have that Perhaps we'll also have more than six people come watch the game. Uh, okay. I don't want to detract from this message, but we were made to give service. We were made to worship. When we see something amazing, we have to respond. That's in us. That's what service means. So how about this then? We serve ourselves, you know? No master. We're our own masters. Be free. 
Serve yourself. When we serve ourselves only, I can guarantee you this, there is no joy. When we serve ourselves only, there is no joy. Because we are our worst taskmaster. We are our worst taskmaster. To be held captive by a weak, ineffectual self is one thing. To convince ourselves we are otherwise is adding to the deceit, the self-deceit from the long list of things we will beat ourselves up over. Any excitement that you may have is short-lived, and like a drug, it will affect our spiritual tolerance so that you just need more and more to fill yourself up over again and again because you think you're your own master just to get the same high while never being fully satisfied, never filling that vacuum in your soul. We weren't meant to serve only ourselves. There is no joy. And everyone can't serve themselves. You can't, everyone have here, serve your own self and expect to be part of a community. Expect to be part of a family. Family members, which all of you are, you know that you have to serve one another if you want a healthy family. When does the family break apart? When it stops serving each other and you just start serving your own self. I need to fill my own needs. What does that really mean? It means I need to break from this community. I need some me time. When we say that, what are we subtly saying? We're saying I need to break from this community. And when we serve ourselves only, there is no joy, but service to a good king brings joy. Service to the true king brings lasting joy. And Jesus shows us this himself when he says, I have not come to be served, but to serve. The king of kings comes to this world and he serves. Here's a little side note for us. The word here literally is deacon. So when you read this in the Greek, it sounds like this. I have not come to be deaconed, but to deacon. So if you're asking, was Jesus a deacon? The answer is yes. He says it here himself in the Bible. I have come to deacon. Does that mean only deacons should deacon? Absolutely not. Do the pastors deacon? Absolutely. Do elders deacon? Absolutely. Does every single member of the church deacon? Absolutely. We are to deacon each other. I know that that makes no sense, but I'm trying to prove a point here. We're here to serve one another, but ultimately serving the true and great king. Just as it's not the intensity of our faith that saves us, but the object of our faith, service itself doesn't have an intrinsic value. This is what we need to understand. Slavery or service itself doesn't have an intrinsic value. It depends on whom you serve. You will either then serve a ruthless, 
taskmaster, whether it's someone else or yourself, or you can serve God, who in his great mercy and love for us came to serve us first. Isn't that amazing? What a great God we serve who serves his people first. A spirit-led people. As God leads his people out of Egypt, he gives them instructions on how to remember the Passover. It's specific. It's exclusive. Service isn't just a hodgepodge of feelings and emotions that's open to anyone at any time. There is a time. There is a place. There is direction. In chapter 13, God gives this direction, claiming all the firstborn, whether man or beast, but claiming all the firstborn. Here's an important point to take away. Who belongs to God? Who belongs to God? The one that he claims or decrees is his. Who belongs to God? The one that God claims. It's not by status or merit or anything dependent on our side. It's God who decrees, thus establishing and teaching his people about his sovereign character. God is the one who set up rules for service, and this is what we follow. And there are reasons for that. There's a point behind it. There are, there's direction of why we have communion and why not anybody can just take it. You have to be a member of the local church, or we can say now, if you're in good standing with another church and you're visiting, you can partake in this communion because Passover, we see, excuse me, Passover is a shadow of what is to come. Now we celebrate communion. And there are rules for that. It is exclusive. It's not just, I like this, I, I like this worship service today because I felt good. You know, I feel, I feel emotionally blessed. That is not the standard of a good service. It's not. Pastor Eugene, today, today was, it was pretty good. You got me sold on your points, you know. That was, that's not the standard of a good service. What is the standard? The standard is what God gives and how we follow. There is direction, and that direction is given by God. How does he lead his people out? It says, continuing on the verses that we see in chapter 13, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this pillar, it says, did not depart from his people. I mentioned this before. If you haven't noticed, each point today is a shadow of what was to come in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. Are you with us? It's about God's sovereign power and Jesus' saving grace shown in the embodiment of who Jesus Christ is that we can now be his people to leave a world of bondage and sin. From service to service, Jesus is the righteous and merciful ruler that we can find joy in serving. 
Number three, God leads His people by His Spirit. His Spirit does not depart from His church because God leads His church to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Holy Spirit leads us by illuminating the way and going ahead of us so that we can follow. That is what we are to do. What kind of people are we? Do we decide things by our own emotions, by our own feelings, by our own existential just being, this is who I am, so this is how I'll judge the world? Or do we have a standard that is greater than us? And I'm telling you, yes, we do. Yes, we do. And He's a good God. And He loves us. And He wants the best for us. And He's saying, follow me. Here's the direction. Here's a pillar of fire. Here's a pillar of cloud. And I will never leave you. I will always be with you. Don't you see that the Holy Spirit is leading us even now? And finally, night before day. While doing all of this in chapter 14, Pharaoh and his people's hearts get hardened again. Revenge. Yahweh not only took their livelihoods, their riches, their comfort, their pride, he took their firstborn. The Israelites, through God's making, now seems to be stuck in an area that's going to be hard to pass. A lot of people think there's a lot of marshes going on, but there are sitting ducks, and Pharaoh cannot pass up this opportunity and gets his chariots ready and goes after them. He picks the best, he takes the rest, and he goes. And you see the thundering march of chariots going after the people of God. When people saw this, it says in the Bible in chapter 14, 11, 12, they feared greatly. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? This place was nice. It had air conditioning. It had comfortable... It doesn't say that. Wait. It says, it's, is this not... What, you said, what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. Did they really say that? It doesn't say so. But maybe they thought that, or in hindsight, they think they said that. Even through all that God has shown His people, when hardship comes, people quiver. People quake. Anger and bitterness take over our faculties. And we are in great danger of not being able to see what God has planned for His people. So Moses' response is measured, and he responds this way. Fear not. Stand firm. Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, 
and you only have to be silent. The waters rise in the Red Sea. The people cross. But when Pharaoh's chariots try to go through, they're stuck. And then the waters come crashing down, destroying Pharaoh's army and any vestige of threat to the Israelites from the Egyptians. God does this and ensures the safety for his people. But when the chariots are about to mow you down, it's not easy to stay calm and assured. There was this story that a preacher told. They weren't sure how to see it. You know, some people think uh, the Red Sea isn't the Red Sea, it's really the Reed Sea. Uh, literally, it's written the Reed Sea, and there were reeds, so it, must, it couldn't have been the Red Sea. Red Sea was way too big. God couldn't have done that. So it's probably like a little passageway. And the Reed Sea was probably marshes. And so, but he didn't want to preach that. So he preached that God opened the Red Sea to let the chariots through and then closed it. And then someone in the back yelled out, Praise God! who would lift up and split the sea to save his people. And then the preacher got a little annoyed because he didn't believe that was true. And he said, well, uh, it was probably just six inches of marsh. And you'll see that in some commentaries you might read in Exodus. It's probably just six inches of marsh and the chariots got stuck. And then the guy responded again, praise God for killing Egyptians with six inches of marsh. <laughs> No matter how you think of it, or no matter how you see it, or you think this is scholarly, you're trying to figure out, how did God really do these plagues? Isn't there a scientific reason? No matter what, what we see is this. He destroyed Egypt's army. He destroyed the enemies of God's people so that they could not come back to haunt them again. They could not come back to oppress them again. They had no power over God's people anymore. Completely annihilated. And this is when you're standing on your toes. Six inches, that's even more amazing if that's true. God does this and ensures the safety of his people. Once again, when the chariots are about to mow you down, it may not be easy to stay calm and assured. And if that's your testimony, I want to share a truth with you that you'll see from the very beginning of the Bible, a truth that's evident in the Bible that my father shared with me and that I love sharing. And that is, we did this in Genesis, night comes before day. <laughs> night comes before day. But when God creates the world, night came before day. And then the day was completed. First there was night, and then there was day. That's what it says in Genesis. Hardship comes before triumph. The verse that I quoted to you, when Jesus comes to deacon and not to be deacon, let me finish that verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Gave his life for us. And it's reflected in our songs and our speeches. But before the crown he wore, there was a cross that he bore. 
That's why we know before there's a crown that we wear, there's a cross that we must bear. So what is the cross that we must bear as a church now? What is the cross that we must bear as Christians? Don't you see, if the church is to grow, it doesn't take less sacrifice. It doesn't take less of your time, money, talent. It takes more. But I want to add to that. It doesn't just take more. It takes everything that you have. It takes everything that you have. Our service is to give much to Him because our service is to make much of Him. Our service is to give everything that we have to God because God is our everything. This is the discipleship and the following of the Lord that He demands. And John Piper talks about this theme often because we have been made by this God for this God and our very self-identity when we are right with God is to love Him supremely. That sounds like John Piper, right? To adore Him, to worship Him. And it's a supreme act of love for Him to demand it because it's for our good. It would be conceivable probably to us if God said, don't give me too much. Save a little for yourself. You know, you got to have ice cream. It's a hot day. You got to hang out with your friends. I get it. Don't give me too much worship. I'm just one of you too. Maybe a little bit more than others, right? Just a little bit more. But don't focus too much on me. If God were to say that, it might satisfy some idolaters' sense of what we think is humility. But this is not the humility that we see on the king that died on Golgotha on that cross. He kept on directing attention to himself. And as he directed attention to himself, we see that as an act of supreme humility and grace precisely because he is the one that stooped down to remind us of who we ought to recognize. Why? Because it is for our joy. And it's not insecure that he needs or wants, demands your service. It's because he is absolutely secure that when we give our service, it will bring us joy. So what does taking up your cross mean? It doesn't only mean bearing hardships. Following Jesus when you get blessed is easy. But Jesus himself, Jesus himself assured us that there will be trials. And yes, there will be hardship and hardships and suffering, but that's not what taking up your cross ultimately means. Jesus' call to take up your cross is to die to yourself. It's a call to absolutely surrender. It is responding by saying, all this is yours, God. All this is yours. This is for your glory. 
This is for your glory. Your supremeness and all that you are, this is who I want to serve and I want to give worship to. That's what it means to take up the cross and to follow him. And that's Jesus' call now to his church, to his people, as he takes them from one place to another, from death to life, from poverty to wealth, from sadness to joy. This is the promise that he gives us. Let's trust in him and follow him, taking up the cross daily. Let's pray. Lord, we are reminded of your words when you said, no one who takes up the plow and looks back is, is fit for my service. And we don't want to be looking back now. We want to follow you in every way that you lead us. Lord, help us once again to surrender all that we have to you. If we've held anything back, let this be the time your Holy Spirit would lead us out of that slavery, out of serving our deceitful hearts, and back to wholly serving you, following you all the way to the promised land. Let's take this time to pray. And as the Holy Spirit directs you and guides your heart, open your heart to the Lord, knowing that He will lead His church, being assured that His blood is enough to cleanse you so that you can have a true joy in your heart. Let's pray.